0: Welcome to the New Abbey podcast. We are in our Reclaim series, and this one's called Intersection. Starting off with a challenging question today but how are you making sense of these mass shootings? <laughs> Have A little joint sermon Sunday tag team duo WWE status going on today. It's fine, it's gonna be good.
1: How's the WWE?
0: Why is it not WWE? Just like we're, we're, we're wrestling something. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. it's gonna be good. I like it. We're in the Gospel of Luke, and what we're talking about is how do we reclaim things. That even the very name of New Abbey was this effort to say that for so many people, because of the world of church or faith or their understanding of God or theology that was used in a negative way, that there's times that we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Where we've been hurt by something, so we say to ourselves, well, I guess because we've been hurt by that, then there's nothing for me in Christianity. I guess because I've been hurt by that, then I guess the church has nothing for me. But our idea of things is, no, we can reclaim those things so that when someone says Jesus, they see it through you. Not by the people who are like the world's 6,000 years old and everybody's dying and burning in hell. Like Less of that and more of like inclusivity and that the narrative gets bigger and that God is interested in reconciling all things. Right, All this stuff is in the scriptures right? It's, it's, it's inviting people into it. Then when people hear of church, so they're not thinking about places that potentially oppress them, but they're thinking about you. They're thinking about a community that welcomes them, allows them to be vulnerable, to live into their brokenness, to live into their joys in the way that is fully possible. And that's what we call a new abbey, right? We're just trying to reclaim a community of faith of people And there's so much within Christian tradition that we can hold on to, and we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So we want to reclaim some things as we're in the Gospel of Luke, and one of the things that we're going to think about reclaiming today is this intersection that we all live in and that we all participate in, where we have these kind of internal dialogues where we're asking this idea of like, what's God's part in my life, and like, what's my part? And we do that with like all kinds of random things from like the job situation where like, you know, we like start to barter with God. God, if you give me this, I swear like I shall I'll be a nun or a monk or whatever. Um, I remember I used to always barter with God when I was gambling in Vegas. Right. You know, like if a seven doesn't come, Lord, I swear I'm going to tithe most of this, you know? Uh, And we have those moments where, like, what's God's part? What's our part? And we're living into some type of cause and effect in this intersection. We live in an interesting place, though, because particularly, I would say, in a community like ours, maybe we heavily emphasize, like, what's our part? that we we believe in participation. We believe that humanity has an effort in things, right? We're always telling people here, like, if if there's healing that needs to be done, then there's active work that we have to do about it, right? Go to a therapist, find a spiritual director, like, get in that 12-step group. Whatever it is, you have a part to play in this narrative. But the part that we also want to always hold on to is that faith is not this reality that we are absolutely or concretely living into something. Faith is, we're just saying that we believe God has a part, that we believe that there's mystery that we lean into and that we don't always have the answers for what God's full part is in it, right? There's not like an alchemy project here in which we can know the full amount of God and the full amount of us. That's not the point. The point is that we participate in that intersection of what God is doing and what we're doing. We see that in the reality of Jesus, right? In Jesus, we call it incarnation because Jesus shows us the very best of what it means to be a human being. And Jesus shows us the very fullness of who God is, and we live into those realities together. So today we're thinking about what's God's part and what's our part. And so we started off with that conversation uh, to get you all into it, because how many of us live there, right? We we see it all the time on on the internet where there's either people who are like, oh, we're praying for this, like, God, you got to do your part. And then there's other people like, stop giving me your prayers if we can't change any of our laws around gun violence. And then there's people who believe if we just change all of the gun laws, then they'll never be shooting. And that's not true either, because you can change all the laws in the world and you can change all of the information that does not lead to transformation. And so we need God's part in the conversation and we need our part in the conversation. If we're going to address things like the Israeli-Palestine conflict, if we're going to address things like mass shootings in our country. If we're gonna address the internal war and dialogue and pain that we have going on, there's a reality of I have a part to play in this and God has a part to play in this. And there's an intersection there. And the intersection is one of interdependence. And so often some of us have lived in the church world where it becomes about like a weird even like codependence on God. I have a crazy aunt, anyone got one of those? <laughs> All right. I won't say her name. She promised you she's not listen to this podcast, but I will not say her name. Um, and I remember my, you know, crazy aunt calling me one day, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, I had lost my car keys." But I just started saying, "You know what, God? Just like Mary found Jesus in the temple, you're going to allow me to find my car keys." I'm like, "What? Like how does how does how does that cross? You know?" Okay, but she's like, I found them. And, and we live in these realities where God is like in every bit of minutia in our life and we either and we blame and praise God in our picking and choosing, right? Uh, and when I was at my former church, I was a young pastor and i always remember this. It was, it was a powerful moment in my life where a woman, um, she's like, I can no longer come here because I'm going to another church. And she, she'd been dying of cancer. And she said, this other church has just allowed me to see that if I just have a different kind of faith, but I'm gonna survive this. And so I need to leave this place, and I'm giving up all of my doctors, and I just know that when I step into that faith, I'm gonna survive. And she died. Leaving behind her three kids and her husband who were angry at God, who were angry at the church. I remember showing up to the hospital room with her lifeless body, and there's these other pastors there praying for resurrection. And you're just like, that's unhealthy. We should have faith. We should believe that God has a part. But God also gives us like brains and reason and science and history is moving forward for a reason. And there's not a perfect equation of how much God, how much us. But there is a point of saying that sometimes when we live in the world of codependence, it's an easy way out and it's a way for us to avoid and to be numb and to not to actually deal with reality. And that is not the kind of world that Jesus is inviting us into. It's not about a kingdom one day when you die and you get to press the elevator button up. We say that in here all the time. It's about a kingdom that is now and active and alive. And we are participants in this reality that God has for us. And yet some of us live completely in independence. We don't really even imagine the God part in any of this. And we believe that we are the masters of our own destiny. And it's amazing how your power and your privilege can make you believe that you are the master of your own destiny. There is a reason that Jesus calls out two major groups all of the time, the rich and the religious. That every seventh thing that Jesus talks about in the Gospel of Luke is challenging the rich. Because they believe that they are the masters of their own destiny. And Jesus is trying to say, that will not work out for you. There has to be a part that God plays in this. And there's a part that you play in it as well. So we're talking about intersection. We're talking about God's part. We're talking about our part. And if we can do that, then we're going to talk about how we're not powerless. How we are powerless, but we're not helpless. We're going to talk about tell me. And then we're going to talk about Show Me. And if we can talk about those things, we're going to talk about Burning Bushes, because you see where we're going with that. And then we're going to talk about Burning Bushes, we're going to talk about that time that Brittany saw that Super Bowl and tsunami thing going on, which is a great story. And then Tony Robbins, and then the voice of God, and then we're going to come back to Intersection. So, let's get into the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6 and 7. Follow along with me. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Notice the progression there. When someone comes to me, when they're choosing to see that God has a part in this thing, right? When they listen to it, and then they actually have an action item around this thing. They're not sitting casually by, but they recognize there's a God part and there's a you part in the equation. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. And when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's built well. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the flood sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Then Jesus goes on in chapter 7 and says this, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does. Let me try reading English again. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built the synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd that was following, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. So Jesus tells us, before Jesus shows us, and we talk about this reality a lot in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus tells us as we finish out on the Sermon on the Plain. If you remember like the whole narrative of what's going on here, Jesus is setting up what God's part is. What God's part is, is reminding us as human beings of our true identity. That God is always trying to remind us that at the end of the day, we were made good. We say it in here all of the time, that the Bible starts in Genesis 1, it did not start in Genesis 3. It starts with the narrative that you are good, you are good, you are good, you are good. And what God is trying to reconcile in the world is not all of your sin, but redeeming the reality that you're good. That's a very different narrative. That doesn't mean that you discount sin. That doesn't mean that you discount brokenness and hurt. That's just not where you start in the story. So Jesus' narrative starts with God calling over him. You are my son, whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased. And then in these Beatitudes, we see in the beginning of the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus starts by saying what? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the weak. Why does Jesus do that? Because God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Sometimes we have an inability and a lack of capacity to see who we truly are. And we've been told narratives of what we're not. And the story of Jesus is, I want to bless the lowest of the low. So that you all can see that you're made in this image of God. I want to bring up the low and bring down the high that you can see that you are human beings. Uh, I'm a part of a 12 step program. I've been a part of a 12 step program for years in my life. And you start off in 12 step by admitting that you are powerless. You are, there's a prayer that I say every day God, do for me what I can't do for myself. There's a reality that I've seen in my life and that I've seen in the lives of other people that there's a need for a higher power, is how they talk about it in 12-step language. There's a need for something beyond yourself. And statistically, they find that when people move towards a higher power, when they move towards a reality that they are not the masters of their own destiny, just statistically speaking, they are more likely to deal with their addiction in healthy ways. Not perfectly, but they participate in an imperfect process where they actually help themselves. And so we start off with this reality that we're powerless and that God reminds us of a greater identity. But just like in the Sermon on the Plain, then Jesus gets into things of, but you're not helpless. You actually have a part to play in this narrative. And so Jesus says, if you can believe this about your identity, if you can believe that you're a son or daughter of God, if you can believe that you are intrinsically loved, not by what you do and what you don't do or what you ought to do or what you should do or any of that stuff, you're just loved because you're human then maybe you can begin to see these realities in other people as well. And then just Jesus invites us into this participation of language like, love your enemy. Don't judge people. Don't condemn. Forgive. And the only way you're ever going to do that is if you love yourself. And you stop judging yourself. And you stop condemning yourself. And you're able to forgive yourself. And so there's a part that God plays in this in reminding us of who we are. And then there's a part that we play in of saying, yeah, God, I'm going to participate in these realities in a different way. That we may be powerless. There may be things that God can do for us that we can't do for ourselves. And we're not making an equation by that, right? We're saying we live into that reality every day. And sometimes it's perspective over time that gives us a better reality of what was God's actual part and what's our part. But the point of it is that we're just living into that thing. It doesn't matter what the percentages are. What matters is that this is the reality that we're living into, that God does care and God is participating and that we should care and participate as well. So Jesus sets this up through the entire sermon on the plane. And then it's fascinating what happens next, that this story of the centurion is the first story that Jesus shows us after he sets all these things up. And why is that? Imagine you're one of Jesus' followers, and you're probably Jewish, and you're following this rabbi, and Jesus has just said, like, I'm going to give you a new identity, and what an identity you need because you have been oppressed by every superpower for the last thousand years, and you've been beaten down, and your country is occupied, right? And so you need a little identity reshaping and lifting and letting you know that you are good and that you are valued and that God is doing something here. And then Jesus has just told you to love your enemies. And the very first person who interacts with Jesus out of all of this is the person who's been occupying your nation state. That Jesus is entering into relationship with the one who is controlling the military-industrial complex. So the very person that you want to hate is the person that Jesus gets into relationship with right here in the next conversation. The very person you want to judge, the very person that you want to condemn, the very person that you don't want to forgive is a Roman centurion. So Jesus says, now I'm going to show you how this thing actually looks. Because narratives provide space that equations do not provide for us. Narratives and stories allow ourselves to find ourselves in the gray when so often we're teaching people doctrine and dogmas and trying to tell people to like, say the right prayer and do the right thing. and If you just raise your hand at the right time, it will be okay until it isn't. But a narrative says it's kind of messy. And you can replace the name of a centurion with someone else in your life. And you can see how this story opens up in a different way. And so Jesus shows us. And what's fascinating about the story is that the centurion never goes to see Jesus, right? They never have a face-to-face interaction. There are these two like, um, emissaries that the centurion sends forward to go talk to Jesus for him. And there's a reason for that in the Scriptures, and we say this in here all the time. One of the things that we've done so poorly in Protestantism is that because we've been so convinced of sola scriptura and this Bible first, and we've wanted to parse every word in Greek and make sure that we know every last word, and if we know this, then somehow we'll be closer to God, right, or whatever the details are in there, uh, that we've missed, uh, because we've taken the Bible so literally, we've missed taking the Bible seriously. And so we're so interested in getting to the exact things that Jesus said 2,000 years ago that we realize that's not even the point of the story, the point of the story is seeing that Jesus meets you where you're at in your place in history. That it's not about a person who died 2,000 years ago. It's about how are you interacting with the risen Christ today in your life. And so the very first story after these incredibly challenging teaches are with a person who actually never sees Jesus. Why? Because you've never seen Jesus. And you'll have to learn to interact and live into the world in a place like Los Angeles in 2018. And you'll never see Jesus face to face. And yet you're still choosing this journey of faith in which God has a part and you have a part in it. There's a reason for it that's incredibly important. And so there's these two voices that come from the centurion. One is of the Jewish religious group right? And they come with this external voice, and they care about all the external things that often when religious conservative people are missing the message and missing the point. When it becomes about moralities and power, and it becomes about the shiny things on the outside, and we're missing with the internal work that's happening on the inside. And so they say things like, come on, Jesus, you got to heal uh, the centurion slave, because look at this man, he's built our synagogues, come on for the megachurch, my friends, right? right? He's like doing, he's giving us money, he's making the Jewish nation state better, and if that doesn't make you fired up, Jesus, what does? And Jesus is like, oh, but I'm not as interested in that as you are, right? Jesus never addresses that. He never addresses what they say about the, about the external things that they bring forward about the centurion. And then it says he sends another group, this internal group, who's like the Gentiles, right? And, and they have a different conversation to bring to Jesus. One kind of, of, our master doesn't even believe that he's worthy to come to you. And so there's this internal voice that needs to be brought up. And it's very specific in the narrative for a reason. Gentiles had no place and no favor with this Jewish God, Right? But that's not how Jesus sees the narrative that we see so often in the Gospel of Luke, this much bigger universal story where God is most interested in the God-forsaken places. And that the people who had this deeper truth about Jesus were these Gentiles in this story. But they needed an identity reclamation as well, right? That God needed to say to them in the story, so to speak, that God is bringing up those who had a low identity and God is bringing down those who are missing the point because they're focusing on all the religious outside things. And there's an intersection there in the middle that God is inviting us to. And we all have those external voices and internal voices as well. Sometimes we have those external voices because we just live in a society that loves power and loves success and loves money. And we want to have God play a part in that somehow. We play games with God. I play games with God in that reality all the time. And we all have these internal voices where sometimes we just don't believe that we're worthy or that we're good enough and that we have any right to come before Jesus And Jesus addresses the faith of this man because of those internal voices and trying to raise them up. And so he challenges both systems all at once. He challenges what's going on inside of us and externally what's happened by saying things like, I've never seen such faith in all of Israel. You guys are missing the conversation and missing the point, right? He says to Israel. And it's in the God forsaken places in which there's some deep faith in which someone is participating in the mystery that there's a God part and there's an our part. And sometimes when we're in it, we have a perspective of it. And sometimes five years later, wherever we're at in that intersection, we have a perspective of what's going on as well. How many of you have ever been in the place where you, like, you have that breakup or you lose that job, and this is the worst moment that ever happened to you? Like you cannot, there's some smirks out there, right? You cannot make it through life. And then five years later, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I broke up with them because like, now I'm marrying this person, right? And God's part and your part in it looked very different then than it does now. And we just need time and perspective sometimes in these conversations to give us a bigger view of what that intersection actually looks like. And this reality is true throughout the entire scriptures. And so there's this famous rabbinical commentary on the burning bush in which it says this, that the bush just didn't start to burn when Moses saw it, but the bushes were always burning and Moses finally had eyes to see it. And that's true in the entire scriptures sometimes the bushes are burning all around us, that God is at work all around us. But in those moments of any intersection in our life, that doesn't mean that we can clearly see it, but that doesn't mean that God's not a part of it.
1: So Corey and I, this isn't for noise, by the way, it's for the podcast, in case you're like, I can't hear. Um, We were talking a lot about this this week, and Uh, about how Jesus uses all these narratives, because narratives are big enough to hold multiple stories. And if we see ourselves in a narrative, then we can make sense of it for 2018 in Los Angeles um, instead of 2,000 years ago, right? And so what does all of this mean in terms of time and perspective um, and external voices and internal voices? Because we live in a society like every single society ever that has overvalidated some external things to keep us from paying attention to what's really important, Right now more than ever i feel like we live in a place that tells us what to pay attention to when and for how long um that's where the story came up i was in the airport i was traveling when the tsunami hit thailand right and it was a moment like that was like the whole world stopped to watch that um it was this wildly massive natural disaster And so I'm in the airport and trying to keep up on on what's happening. And um, I'm passing like an ESPN zone. And they have like a TV screen that's like as big as the glass over there. And um, I don't know if you remember, probably not because it's not important, um, that tsunami happened the same weekend as the Super Bowl. And so I'm walking by and there's a literal split screen on this giant TV of the Super Bowl and like what's happening post-tsunami. And I was like, this is really important. (laughs) Um, This is an exact picture of what's happening. Even though something really important that we should be paying attention to, that everyone should know about, that we should be figuring out how to contribute, even that is going to be competing by a game. Because that is what our society is telling us is important. And even though they're realizing it's kind of important, they're only giving us like half attention, right? We live in this place that's like, hey, maybe you can watch a 15 second Instagram video of something important, but we're going to quickly move you on to something that's not important. Those are internal and external voices are really um, in front of our faces in Los Angeles in 2018. They're in our pockets. Uh, they're on our TV screens. And so how do we start to pay attention to what matters? How do we pay attention to the internal voices? Because our internal voices, what's happening, being able to be in touch with that is going to allow us to be more open to the idea that God has a part to play. When we're able to settle, when we're able to engage in some slow and spiritual practices, when we're able to engage in some of these mysteries, when we're finally able to focus on the fact that, yeah, there is some awe and mystery to be had here. But that's really tricky. Because as we were prepping for this sermon, um, we were like, okay... Corey will set the scene, and then I'll kind of bring some practicality, and we're like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of practicality in life. Like, if you want to be better at managing your money, get a book or a Google how to manage money. I mean, we live in 2018, you can Google anything, right? You want to get fit, go to the gym. There's a lot. It's really easy to be like, here's your part. But then we end up as Tony Robbins, which some might want to be, but I don't want to be. Um, and Tony right, yeah, who was the woo? But Tony Robbins, right, is the perfect example of it's all your part. But there's no attention to the internal voices and the mystery and awe of what God might be doing. But the other side is we invite God and we think it's this like magic wand. It's not. It's an invitation to participation. And that participation is really difficult. And it requires the antithesis of what our society is pushing us to. Slowness, stillness, introspection, therapy, all these things that kind of suck. Um, But then you get some perspective and they're really good. (laughs) I was going over my notes for the server, this probably isn't funny, but um, and I was talking, I was like thinking, just like brainstorming, I was like, yeah, it's not a magic wand. I was like, yeah, magic wand, Harry Potter. I was like, even wizards need to go to school. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you have a magic wand, there's still some participation, am I right? Oh, gosh. One day I'm going to get through somewhere without Black Panther or Harry Potter, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Wizards, Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> yes, paying attention to the internal things uh, is very countercultural and it's very difficult. Um, but that's the thing that you will need to do to get to a place where you are able to allow God into that process. And I think for some of us, myself included, um, after Corey and I were talking, and I was like, "Yes, practicality. Here's all the things people can do." Corey's like, "Yeah, but what about God's part in it?" And there was so much. We like got into an argument at Huntington Gardens because there was like so much pushback in me to talk about this part because uh, I was a part of a church um, where every week the pastor, to open up the sermon, would stand up and say a prayer. And part of that prayer was, God, speak through my vocal cords. Um, At the time, it totally made sense. Now looking back, I'm like, that is so problematic. Because someone has told me most of my life that someone on a stage with a microphone somehow has the voice of God coming out of their body. And what does that mean for God's voice in my life? Is it not there? I need to hear it from this person. And the whole thing um, has become so problematic for me until one day I was in the quiet confidentiality of my therapist room, office. I like to think of it as a room, like we're best friends just talking, but it's an office where you pay to be... (laughs) I remember asking her, I'm a pastor now um, at a church that is telling me I am bringing the voice of God to people. I remember asking her a question I could not ask any other place uh, that I hadn't legally signed something where she wouldn't tell anyone. And I was like, I don't think it's okay that I am the voice of God in people's lives. Does that mean I can't? You know what I mean? And then it's like the whole thing starts to break down and that was the beginning of the end for me of you know like wait I don't know if this is right um and so that manipulation like there's a lot of things in the church where I feel like have been manipul- ha- have been manipulated for me but this is something where I feel like I have manipulated for people and it's very uncomfortable so then I was like well I don't want to talk about God's part you talk about it um But it is important, right? Because without faith, without this understanding, we are Tony Robbins. And I don't believe that we are Tony Robbins. I believe that we are these people who find these deep and rich intersections. But it can be very uncomfortable uh, if you have grown up or had some of that baggage to say, like, okay, I'm going to introduce God's part in this, the awe and the mystery, because we all know it's there. We're all here, right? Because we know there is some awe and some mystery. And how do we allow ourselves to turn down the external, even if the external is what the church has told you, and to bring up the internal of what is this intersection? How do I allow uh, myself to co-create with God this world? Because the truth of the matter is, the voice of God does not belong to one person, but the voice of God is available to all persons, right? And he used to say that, I was like, the hand of God isn't just using pastors, but that doesn't mean it's not moving, right? It's as much anyone's as it is everyone's, and that's really important that we know that because that will change how we interact with our process in life, right? It doesn't have to feel like this thing where, okay, you go and do your part, your part, your part, and then talk to someone who has the voice of God to tell you what God might be saying about God's part. But like Corey said, it's not this perfect equation that like, okay, if I do 50% this, 50% this, you just do it, right? You go on this journey where you say like, yes, I'm participating, but I'm also open to a lot of awe and mystery because we all have experienced that and in a moment and say, I know what this is, right? And so I think it's really important for a community like this who it's probably easier to lean heavily towards our participation Um, to be willing to say faith is really important. Uh, This is a really important part uh, to this puzzle. This is a really important piece of this community. This is a really important um, moment in understanding this faith journey in 2018 in Los Angeles is being open to the idea, yes, we do believe in these things. Yes, I am thinking about and praying about all of the victims of these mass shootings. I'm not throwing thoughts and prayers out because people have solely relied on them, but I also want to participate. And how do we begin to reclaim that for ourselves to shed the baggage of how it's been manipulated and say, "Okay, I'm here, let's do this, right? And so we all have all of these intersections in our life um, where that gets confusing, right? And I think the beauty of part of this sermon in preparing for it is it's never not confusing. And maybe that's the point, right? I think uh, there are few people in my life when you can just describe exactly who God is, what that means, and how that impacts your life. It's not interesting anymore, Right. I think we're meant to be figuring this thing out as we go along for a long time. And intersections in everyone's life look a lot different. And at different times, different intersections are more important. It may be race. It may be coming out. It may be relationships. It may be finances. It may be a job. It may be getting married. It may be body image. At some point, there's an intersection in your life where you are wondering, how much can I do and what will God do? And that's amazing. Just asking that question invites that awe and mystery in a way that shutting it out didn't. Just quieting the external voices long enough to say, I don't know what I'm doing here. Great. Keep trying things, keep talking to God, and we'll all see what happens, right? And that's the beautiful part about it. It's how do we shut the Super Bowl part of it and say like, what is going on inside of me? Just asking that question opens up so much room for God. It doesn't mean we stop participating, we stop moving. We just turn down the noise of what doesn't matter for a minute. and make room for some on mystery. So we're going to get back into our groups and we are going to talk about, are you at an intersection in life right now? What is it? What's God's part? What's your part? That's four questions. You can talk about all of them, none of them. Choose your favorite and we'll come back together in a few minutes.